Hey, what's up everybody? My name's MJ and you're listening to the MTG in Quarantine Podcast, where the motto is EDH, community, now and always. As usual, before I begin, I'd like to give a nice quick shout out to my local game store, Guardian Games. You can find Guardian Games on the web at ggportland.com. I'd also like to take this opportunity to give a huge shout out and thank you to the awesome people who support me over at patreon.com slash quarantine. So a huge round of thank yous to Mr. Big Benz, Anomaly, Draco Lucian, Nick S, Infamous Fridge, Frugal Brutal, Jen of the Filthy MTG Casuals, Coach Jero, and Geek Beardly for supporting the show. If you'd like to help support the show and help me make more awesome content, head on over to patreon.com slash quarantine for more information. I'd also like to shout out that you can buy your very own MTG in quarantine branded playmat over at Inked Gaming, that's I-N-K-E-D Gaming.com right now. Got two really awesome designs there, the full color logo as well as the monochrome version. They both look amazing, and you should buy one for yourself and for all of your friends. And again, you can find the link to those in the link tree in the episode description, so go check that out. Use the affiliate link there. Everything supports the channel. I really appreciate it. So you can go on to Inked Game, that's I-N-K-E-D Gaming.com, search up MTG in Quarantine, and you're on your way. Thank you so much. So I've had something rattling around in my brain for a while, and I, I think I think that this is the perfect time to actually talk about that. So the topic for today's episode is stop talking about power level and start talking about the intent of your deck. And again, this is going to be kind of an interesting episode. It's a little bit different than what I normally talk about, but it's just, yeah, like I just said a moment ago, it's been something that's been rattling around with my brain a lot lately as I've started to go back and play more in person versus playing on the line, online the last couple of years and going into pods where I don't know the people I'm playing with and I don't know what decks they're playing. And there's a whole lot of room right there for a lot of misunderstandings about trying to match deck intents effectively. And basically, the thesis of this episode is that power levels basically do not exist. I'm going to harp on this multiple times in the segment, so please bear with me. Instead, it is going to be a thesis about how intent is far more important than power level. So I'm going to basically start off by breaking things down, talking about why power level really doesn't exist, and then gradually moving over towards intent and how we should try to talk about a rule zero conversation when we're first sitting down to play with a new pot of people we've never met before. So anyway, sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy the episode. So... Y'all have probably already heard this topic done on at least multiple content channels, and that's okay. Again, today's episode here is, is basically just my opinion on this whole concept, so you don't necessarily have to agree with me. That's completely fine. I'm just telling you what I think about power level and some of the things that I've learned along the way that have actually worked for me better than just trying to use a subjective power level that's basically boiled down to a single digit. But yeah, anyway, I'm going to start off with a bit of a... A bit of a reference here is that uh, every time people talk about power level, there's kind of this joke that everyone says that their deck is a seven. Obviously, EDH Rec had their deck power calculator for EDH decks for April Fool's Day this past April Fool's Day 2022. And the funny thing is, is that no matter what deck list you put in, the the calculator immediately said that your deck was a seven. I even put in the deck that was basically uh, a commander and 99 islands. 
and uh, it, you know, just to see what would happen. And it gave me that my deck was a seven. Obviously, we know that Island is probably one of the most busted cards in all of Magic, but you know, come on, nine and nine Islands plus a Commander is probably not going to win you very many games. So uh, how that deck could quote unquote be a seven, it, 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 you can leave that to conjecture. And that really got me thinking about an article I read a few uh, few years ago from Dave Kosen when he was working with Channel Fireball. And this is uh, something back from November 2019, again, in the before times, before COVID. And we need to get better at talking about the power level of our EDH decks was the, was the article. And honestly, now that I go back and I think about what, what Dave was talking about in this article, uh, it really got me inspired to use my own experience to really talk on, about this episode in, in more detail and kind of see where that goes. So it's going to be really interesting to see um, you know, kind of just talking about some of that stuff and and just uh, trying to explain how, in again, intent is extremely important. I'm going to just keep harping on that. So, uh, yeah, just uh, buckle up and let's, uh, let's get started here. So uh, another observation I've made is that we as humans seem to love odd numbers, especially between 1 and 10. Uh, we love to be number 1 because it means that we've won something. This really scratches our competitive itch to always be the best, the top person in whatever competition we're doing and even if that's an edh pod you know a lot of us do like to try to win games of commander if, if that's something we're trying to necessarily work for whenever we sit down to play an edh game uh the number three or third is enough to get a medal in a lot of major sporting competitions you have medals for this in major international sporting events uh, third place will often get you some sort of prize in a, a gaming convention or just, you know, being third place usually gets you that coveted bronze medal. It is something it's, you didn't win. You didn't come in second, but you still don't you still walk home uh, with something rather, rather than going home empty handed. So I feel like third is still kind of in that same stratosphere as first. Obviously not the same, but kind of in the same stratosphere. And 5 is uh, obviously half of 10, which is the most easily divisible number, I, uh, honestly, in, in the numerical system, except for 1. Obviously, we love, to, we love to divide things by 10 because it's just really easy to do that. And 5 is half of 10, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And obviously, 7 is a lucky number for a ton of people. And it's, it's not hard to see why. I mean, 7 is a really interesting number. Uh, just just by itself, but also the fact that it's kind of your lucky number in casino slot machines. Obviously, 777 is really what you want on a casino slot machine. Yes, I did spend time in the Vegas Valley for a while, so uh, yeah, 777 is a big deal down there. It means you've you've won the jackpot, and hopefully you've profited off of whatever money you put into said slot machine. And, you know, I, I kind of had to stretch for this one, but uh, we like nine so much because, you know, for, for those of us who remember the old touchtone phones, uh, you know, nine is the, la the last and the highest digit value digit that is on these touchtone phone pads. Obviously, because you can't get 10 on a dial. You had a zero, but, you know, it, it's zero to nine. Nine is still the largest number there. And if you really want to keep going there, obviously, 11 being one of not really the first prime number but 11 is is also an interesting number and 13 obviously being lucky or unlucky depending on whether you want to look at it that way and kind of going on from there so it's just really odd that we just love odd numbers and i feel like when it comes to what a lot of people consider to be a power level that a lot of people typically consider their power to fall along these odd lines whether that is going to be a one 
a three, a five, a seven, or a nine. You typically don't seem to hear, at least in my experience, as many of the odd numbers, that being two, four, six, eight. I mean, maybe 10, I hear some banded around a little more, but typically when, when I hear about people talk about their power level and they try to put this on a numerical scale, I usually hear three, five, and seven typically kicked out there. And again, I'm going to make it very clear that I do not believe that these sorts of power levels should exist. That, you know, this is not, this is not really the way that we should be talking about EDH uh, matchmaking at all. Because the numbers here are completely subjective. They're not objective. Uh, back when I was in college, I had a stats course. And the first day of, of stats 2, my professor basically told the class as the first thing that stats don't truly tell us anything. And, you know, it took a while for that to really sink in that, you know, statistics may seem concrete in a lot of ways, but it really depends on how you spin them. And ultimately, that's why these numbers, even though they may seem concrete, because, you know, they're fairly simple, they're very easy to remember, they're still subjective because you are trying, there is no objective scale for these. They are subjective. It's all about intention and stigma of these different power levels with certain power levels, quote unquote, you know, being quote unquote better or worse than others. And, you know, again, as soon as you start subscribing or ascribing those sorts of values to these numbers, all of a sudden it's no longer objective because there is no guaranteed standard that you're working for. There's no law saying the EDH has power levels between one and 10 in various uh, equal, various equal categories. You, there are just so many things that go into trying to figure out what your quote-unquote dex power level is that uh, you can't boil it down to a single number because you obviously will have missed quite a few things in that process. So uh, I'm actually going to start with another example of something else with the power level distinction on it, but something that is actually far more objective than a subjective. So I've actually been staring at the microwave in my apartment for the last week or so as this idea has been rattling around my head because, you know, it has a power level function, you know, how is that any different than EDH? And you're probably saying, MJ, what the heck does a microwave have to do with the power levels of EDH? Well, I'm going to tell you what it has to do with it because not only does my microwave have a power level function, but it can also range that power between 1 and 10, the same as EDH, the same as our typical 1 to 10 power scale. But, you know, the, the different thing about my microwave that you don't get in EDH is the fact that it's different because those values are objective. They're not subjective. So the the, the real so when I hit uh, power level on there on my microwave, I can tell it, okay, I want you to run seventy percent power. I want you to run a twenty percent power for for X time. Again, the time is really not relevant here. It is the fact that the microwave will allocate its resources based on the power level that you have inputted before you hit start and. Really, you know, the only real analog here is that full power uh, on a microwave will cook the food faster, probably. Again, it kind of depends on what you have in there, but it'll probably cook your food a lot faster in the same time a lot. But that doesn't really scale well with, you know, how EDH looks at things because, you know, just because a deck ends up on the quote-unquote higher power part of the scale doesn't necessarily mean the game is going to be faster. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get to the end of the game faster than if you are, let's say, like the 20% power on the microwave. Yes, if I want to microwave a microwave meal, it's going to take a lot longer to defrost that frozen food if I put it at 20% versus if I put it at 70 or 80%. But 
you know, that really doesn't scale well with EDH, you know, is that it, it might get my frozen food done faster. A seven, a deck seven, in, uh, again, in the subjective scale may end up finishing a game faster than a two, you know, if we want to use that. But again, that's not always the case. I mean, CDH and higher power pods, you run a lot of stacks pieces. The, these are intended to try to slow the game down for your advantage. So all of a sudden, you know, the time that's on my microwave or the time that's in your game of EDH is not really analog for speed or power. It's just an element of time. Obviously, if I put something in my microwave at 20% power, eventually it will get fully cooked. It won't work as quickly, but the fact is, is that the microwave has a set power level. And EDH does not have that, period. My microwave knows exactly what 100% is versus 70% versus what 20% is because it's allocating those resources in there. But when you look at an EDH deck, you don't necessarily know what 100% of that deck would be. What is 70% of this deck? Um, you know, are, are we looking at optimization? Are we looking at efficiency? What are we looking at here? What is 100% of this deck? You, you, I mean, you, you have to start thinking, what is the most optimal version of this deck? And then, well, is 70% of that optimal version all of a sudden make your deck a 7? Does running only, you know, 1 in 5 cards of that quote-unquote most optimal version make your deck a 2? Well, I mean, no, no, obviously it wouldn't. So, because, you, you know, you don't have to run only 1 in 5 quote-unquote optimal cards for a deck uh, and, and have it be a two. You know, that deck, If again, if you wanted to use this subjective power scale, could easily be what someone would consider a six, seven, or an eight. You just aren't running the same cards as a lot of other people. But in the same analogy, my microwave knows exactly what 20% is versus what 70% is. Your EDH deck is going to differ because there are so many cards, so many different things you can do with that. Whereas the microwave always knows what its power level is, your EDH deck is not going to because there are so many more factors. A microwave just heats up food. Your EDH deck can do basically anything. So how are you going to be able to boil your EDH deck down to a single number just as if you were trying to put food in the microwave? It just doesn't work. So now let's take another look at EDH and kind of kind of the fallacies that I see about power level as a number. So I used to watch a lot of the, the game show Family Feud. Um, if you're familiar, it's a game show that's been more recently taken over by Steve Harvey. Obviously, um, it, it's a very interesting game, um, kind of raunchy at times, but uh, just a very simple, simple five-on-five uh, -five, uh, family not, not really trivia game, but it kind of feels like that. But anyway, so if, if you've ever watched Family Feud and you watch to the end, they typically have a fast money segment at the, at the end of each show where the winning family of five tries to compete for, I was like, $10,000, something like that at the end of the show. And a lot of these questions that they give the contestants are typically involve players rating something, or sorry, participants who have participated in this? Wow, that was really that was really silly. Participants who have answered these surveys um, typically rate whatever the question is between one and ten, and the contestant on Family Feud is supposed to quickly choose what they believe to be the most popular answer from those hundred responses received. And you know, w when you start watching the show enough, like I had, you start to kind of see some patterns on how things fall. So. 
Um, you know, as long as we're talking about what I would consider to be kind of a reasonable question where there might be some kind of doubt that people might be going a little bit lower on the 1 to 10 scale or a little bit higher on the 1 to 10 scale, I typically saw that one of two things happened. Either you ended up with people usually typically aggregating at about 5, which obviously if you think about 1 to 10, 5 is right smack dab in the middle. So it just, and again, just like I said with the odd numbers, is 5 seems like a safer number for us to process. We tip, you know, when you think about the human hand has 5 fingers, 5 toes. I mean, we love the number 5 for this particular reason. And 5 just seems like a lot safer a number to put out in this sort of... Uh, in, in this sort of response, and even six or four, which could also kind of work for that. But we typically go with five. Um, but the other one that I've also noticed seems to come up an awful lot, especially on the questions where you're typically asked about, uh, like usually something like an attractiveness question or an intelligence question or something where you're really comparing yourself to others. I feel like if it's kind of favorable towards where people are probably going to land, People are, you know, questions where people are probably going to consider themselves more favorable than a lot of other people or, you know, the quote unquote average person. I feel like the average number in those sorts of situations ends up landing at about seven. So are, are, are you starting to see kind of where I'm, I'm coming at here is the fact that how is this number, which again is very subjective for a game show for people answering kind of strange questions. How is that any different than the quote unquote power level the, the, the joke that I made about the sevens being power levels at the very beginning of the show. These numbers are subjective. Can we fairly compare ourselves in this manner, either on a game show or an EDH deck to others? No, we can't. Because, again, all, some people in these, in these surveys for Family Food are going to say 10. They're probably not going to be very modest. They're going to say 10. Others might say 1. But more likely you're going to want to aggregate kind of somewhere in the middle, and that's where you get five, six, and seven. And, you know, when we really look at the uh, what people believe to be kind of the most quote-unquote common power level in EDH, it's usually five to seven. So, you know, it's landing smack dab in the middle there. So, you know, there, there's no way to accurately describe these subjective numbers in a vacuum because, again, it's just you thinking on your feet. You're going to say, well, this deck is a five. Well, why is a deck a five? Why can't the deck be a seven? Why can't the deck be a three? I mean, are are you just saying five because you literally believe that it's kind of somewhere in the middle of the road, or are you just saying five because it's kind of an easy number to remember and it's half of ten? And again, between if you divide one and you add one and ten and you divide it, you get five point five. Well, five, six, where are you? So anyway, I want to move on next to the number scales used for conventions. So a couple of years ago, Channel Fireball, amongst other vendors, came out with an interesting 1 to 10 EDH power scale to try to help people get matched at conventions for a pod that would work for them. And, you know, I, I won't say that it's a bad thing. Obviously, it's a really good start. It showed some effort. It showed some initiative. These sorts of things definitely help a lot, like newer players, for instance, where you're just getting into the game, you're you're scared that you're going to end up in a bad situation, and again, it's a really good intention to try to make sure people are able to try to find games that they really want to be involved in. It's admirable. But again, just as I was saying just a moment ago, there's a problem with that 1 to 10 scale because it aggregates decks in a very small slice in the middle of the scale. That's in the 5 to 8, maybe 4, but 5 to 8 
is where the vast majority of decks are going to fall. That's because no one or, you know, a lot of people don't want to stick out of line too far. This is something you can kind of take out of psychology and sociology is people are very social creatures. We are social creatures as human beings, and we tend to want to aggregate with people who are like us. So in a way, we want our decks to not stick out, quote unquote, like a sore thumb, but we want those decks to kind of, you know, feel like they're not too powerful, but not too janky. We want to, we want to make sure that we feel good about our decks feeling a nice solid seven, right? Well, honestly, that's the problem, because the more we tend to aggregate with others to not be alone, the more homogenized the, the rating system becomes. Well, all of a sudden, why are we aggregating at one to ten? Couldn't we just say one to four at that point? You know, where everyone's a 1, 2, a 3, or a 4, you know, in, in the same way that we're looking at for a 1 to a 10. I mean, it, it just doesn't make sense because a lot of people are still going to probably end up answering 2 or 3. Well, how is that any different than the 1 to 10 rating system where a lot of people answer 5 to 8? A lot of people want to stay in that because it's comfortable. They're afraid to go lower. No, sorry, they're afraid to go higher on the power scale because they're afraid that they're going to be pub stomped. And again, that is a complete fallacy in a lot of cases. Yes, I have been pub stomped before. But again, a lot of these things can be dealt with with a very good rule zero conversation. I'll get back to that later. But uh, people also don't want their deck to be stigmatized as being lower than five. And so, so being between five and eight feels like it's safest because then you don't really get uh, you don't really get judged on that. And that's what I wanted to go into this part of the episode on is there is a stigma in these guys about what constitutes a one, a two, or even a three or a four here. So I, another thing that I really thought about when creating the notes for this episode was that we as humans love more of a thing, right? You know, the more pizza we can get, uh, the more magic cards we can buy. Uh, you know, just things like we always love to get more. This is something that we see on a lot of advertisements is you want more from your Internet. You want more from your credit card company. Uh, you want more features in these cars that they're selling. You want more taste in your beer. I mean, it just just a lot of things that you see generally getting just plastered all over the TV airwaves and on your online advertisements and yada, yada, yada. So we always want to score highly on a scale of 1 to 10, where 10 is the highest and 1 is the lowest, because we want to feel like we are not, you know, at the quote-unquote back end of things. We always want to feel like we're, if not average, we're above average. So therefore, if we always want to end up a little bit higher on that power scale, um, if you're a 1 or a 2, it must mean that you're either really bad at something or you didn't try, Right. I mean, you know, everyone wants to be a 10, you know, a lot, a lot of people will accept being a five, but do you want to be a one or a two? Well, the answer is you're probably not going to be. I mean, at least if you want to look at it this way with this weird analogy, you don't want to be a one or a two, because then that means you're quote unquote last. And if there's something I've learned about human psychology and competitions is that you don't want to be last. Even if you are the second to last person, a lot of people will consider that better than being dead last. So... That's where the issue comes in with using these power levels. How is that any different? Because the way I felt that the 1 to 10 scale really, really hurts the lower end of the scale is because it uses 1 and 2 in a very negative connotation. This is going to be your quote-unquote joke decks or, you know, the, the very antithetical uh, chair tribal deck that's been bandied around the last few years. 
Um, I, I'll even talk about my old fogey silver border deck kind of falls under this category. These are the decks that a lot of people consider kind of stupid and that they really shouldn't exist because they don't necessarily try to win a game of magics. And if you're looking at this in a more competitive way, then these decks are not really going to do the thing because they're, they're not trying to find enough optimization to be able to actually play the game the way most people are comfortable and I feel that the stigma actively hurts people who wants to play these sorts of decks because it demeans their contribution to the EDH community. Let that sink in for you. It basically says that your deck is chaff, it's trash, it's not EDH, and you're basically, if, if, if people are putting it into this context, they're effectively demeaning anyone who wants to play a one or two power level deck because their deck just isn't good enough to bring to the table, so why would you even bother? And I've noticed this with every single rating system I've ever seen, of in, along 1 to 10, is that no one ever says, hey, I've got a 1, I've got a 2, and basically doesn't end up feeling bad about it. Because anyone else is just, well, why would you want to play that? I, I want to play my 7. Why would you ever want to play a 1 that's not even a deck, it's just a bunch of chaff commons? And there lies the problem of stigma is that we want some whatever we want out of a game of commander we want other people to also want and if other people don't necessarily fit along those lines all of a sudden there are problems ahead and if you have built a a one let's say let's just use my old fogey deck here for an example it's a fun silver border deck using a non-legal commander it's not even a legendary creature and it I bring that deck out very occasionally you know typically in a silver border matchup or very 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 casual games. I have to really pick my spots because, you know, it's not going to compete to the vast majority of EDH tables, and that's completely fine. I have other decks that will do that far more easily. But I enjoy the old Fogey deck because I feel like it's the kind of fun deck that I can sit down, have an extremely casual game with with friends, and just have a lot of fun. I was on a stream uh, with Anna Thornton a couple months ago, Anna MT1992 on Twitter, Great, great, great streamer. Go check their content out. But anyway, that was the last time I got to play that deck because it was a silver bordered game. So we all had elements of silver bordered cards in our decks. And, you know, fun themes like that are great. It's really what attracts me to playing EDH. But I feel like if I was to take that old fogey deck to my local game store to try to play at Open Commander Night, I feel like in a way I might potentially be laughed out of the room is, well, why the crap would anyone want to play Old Fogey, people might ask. Because you could go play, I don't know, 20 different really powerful commanders, because that's what the format is. Well, that doesn't mean they're wrong. I mean, again, this is a format that's for everybody. But I'm going to reiterate, this is a community for everybody. So, even even including players who want to play those quote-unquote one, on, one and two draft chaff decks. This is a community for everyone in a format that was originally started to play around cards that didn't get to play in other formats. This is a format that really started with the Elder Dragons themselves, who nowadays are, most people consider to be quote-unquote unplayable. I think that's false, but again, you're, the vast majority of people are going to find those cards unplayable. Well, does that mean that the commander no longer has room for the big doofy spells and the silly commanders that it used to have? No, there is room here for everyone. So why do 
players go out of their way to complain the decks being a one or two don't matter or are a joke? Why is there such a negative stigma towards ones and twos? I just don't get it. Why are pre-cons considered to be threes or fours? I mean, you know, the, the, the pre-cons are their own thing entirely because, again, the pre-con quality has definitely changed over the years since they were first introduced in 2011. And, you know, a lot of people do seem to think that uh, the pre-cons have gotten more focused, more efficient over the years, and, and that's great. Uh, the, the C21 especially was really, really good. I, I, I did pick up the Lorehold one. I didn't play that much out of the box, but I really did enjoy what I did get out of that. Interesting deck, interesting Boros commanders. I'm going to say Boros, so, you know, just deal with it. And really, when, when it comes to pre-cons, when people say, well, a pre-con's a three, well, are you looking at the quote-unquote deck strength? Are you looking at pilot skill? Because if I was a new player and I was playing a pre-con, I definitely wouldn't play that pre-con as well as I would now as a three-year player of Magic. If I played for Magic for 25 years, I'd probably play the pre-con pretty well. The cards would be the same. But does that all of a sudden mean that that same deck is still a three? Wouldn't an experienced player be able to maybe make that a five? just by their experience and knowing exactly how to utilize their interaction and their pieces when they need to versus potentially a new player not knowing exactly what they're, you know, not necessarily having the same amount of experience or, you know, potentially not really know what they're doing because it's their first game of Commander. I mean, is that going to be a 3? Is that going to be a 5? Is that Could a pre-con be a 7 under the right, uh, uh, under the right pilot? I think that's really where I'm going here is where do we draw the line with the subjective power scale on a pre-con where all the cards are the same and but where the pilot skill can vary so wildly. And again, all the pre-cons are not the same. So why do we always lump them together? Why does every pre-con have to be a five or pre-con be a three? Again, going back to the channel fireball uh, subjective scales there is that the pre-cons were considered to be threes or fours. Well, pre-cons are threes or fours. Well, can't they be a five? What's wrong with the pre-con being a six? They've definitely improved over the last couple of years. Why can't a pre-con hang with some of those quote-unquote middle decks that are hanging around in our little aggregate slice of things over in the five and six level, huh? Where's our middling decks then? Hmm? I feel like it's really doing a disservice to the lower end of the scale when we think about everything having to be a five or above. Because all of a sudden, if everything has to be a five or above to be EDH, then there's just that negative stigma that everything below five is a problem and that, the, and that there isn't a spot in the format. And that's really what I'm trying to squash here is that there is room for every deck in EDH. Obviously, not everyone has to have a one to a four deck using this power scale. But you know what? I really enjoy my old fogey decks. I really enjoy some of the extreme low power, what we call battle cruiser decks, that are really fun to play because they aren't looking to do things overly efficiently. They're there to do silly, big, splashy, Timmy things. And that's the fun of these things. And basically having a power level system that demeans players for, and basically points them out and laughs at them for wanting to play be uh, below the quote-unquote average middle line, you know, that's just not right. That really alienates people and makes them feel like they have to try to punch up a weight class. What is wrong with telling people, you know, it's okay to play a three on the power scale because a three on the power scale doesn't actually exist. What if you just wanted to play a deck that, you know, isn't 
overly optimized? What if you just want to play a deck that's silly and fun? What if you want to play my old fogey deck? There is room in this format for you. And just saying it's a three on the power scale basically says, you know, here's all your creativity. <clears throat> you know, it's a three. It's a two. You know, no one wants to play with you. That is so counterproductive. This goes back to exactly what Dave was saying in his article. Is that, you know, you know, assigning values to nearly three decades worth of cards would be wildly impractical and the end futile. In many cases, cards are powerful or not in the context of a given deck. These are things straight from that article, and I can link that in the episode description if people are interested. And it's just, you know, there, you, you just can't do this. Is that this is a format for everybody? And why are we trying to belittle people for playing the kinds of deck that they want in such an open format? It just doesn't make any sense to me. Conversely. Let's look at the higher end of the scale here for a moment. So I've, I've spent a lot of this time talking about how power levels 5 to 8 on this subjective power scale are typically where a lot of people fall. But what exactly constitutes a 9 or a 10 on this scale? I mean, you know, those are some pretty high numbers, pretty large numbers. This means your decks have to be really powerful, right? Well, again, just like with the 1s through 4s, where do you draw the line here between what's an 8 to 9 and what's a 10? I mean, I'm a CDH player myself, which often gets lumped into 9s and 10s kind of willy-nilly here, and I don't even know what most people consider CDH, CDH to fall under in this power scale. Is it a 10? Is fringe CDH a 9? Or is the CDH meta completely separate from this 1 to 10 power rating scale? In which case, why do you have a 1 to 10 rating scale in the first place? It just doesn't make sense if CDH is, which is still the commander format. That's important. C-E-D-H is E-D-H. Does that mean it's a 10? Does that mean it's a 9? Or does that mean it's not even included altogether? Because if it's not included altogether, you're certainly not getting the whole slice of the pie as far as 1 to 10 on the E-D-H power scale. All of a sudden, this whole subjective rating that a lot of people have spent so much time thinking about just falls apart because all of a sudden, the highest end of the format doesn't fit within that popularly ascribed rating system. And it's it's really confusing. I've I've definitely seen people talk about nines and tens that are, you know, high powered casual. I'm going to quote friend of the show Sheepwave on here in a really interesting article that was completed last year talking about nitro casual. And nitro casual basically being faster, more optimized version of casual versus uh, you know of casual battle cruiser games versus going completely to CEDH. So they, these are going to be decks that run a lot of fast mana, lots of tutors or specific tutors especially, and not just land ramp, but we're talking about actual efficient tutors. Plenty of A plus B, so two-part, three-card combos, things, lots of interaction, ways to be able to get your combos online quickly, commanders that are extremely powerful. Basically, the end of the format where you're pushing casual to the limits, but you're not quite accepting the CEDH part of the meta. Obviously, CEDH is separate in some cases because the meta is established, and the rules are a little different, but again, it's still EDH. So Nitro Casual is just a nice way to really be able to look at things that are not Battle Cruiser, but they're not CEDH either. They're Nitro Casual. They're kind of casual plus, in, if, if we want to use that kind of parlance here. But again, where does Nitro Casual start? Does it start at 7? 
Does it start at nine? I mean, it, uh, according to the, especially the channel fireball uh, rating system, the, what we would probably consider nitro casual to be would probably be somewhere between eight and 10. Well, but does 10 is 10 CDH where, where do nitro casual decks fall that are basically fringe CDH decks, which, which definitely refer more to the CEDH mindset than a Nitro Casual deck. Where do those fall? Are those 9s or those 10s? Are they even on the rating system entirely? I don't know. But again, that's just another thing that I don't like about the power level system is the fact that all of a sudden now we have, let's say, three ratings, you know, Casual Battle Cruiser, maybe middling, you know, maybe fourth category being kind of like middle of the road uh, decks, Nitro Casual and CDH. Well, where do those all fall on your 1 to 10 scale? I mean, and, and how do you know exactly where your deck falls? Is There's no way to actually objectively measure your deck. So where does it fall? And that's why I really wanted to harp on this one. Again, circling all the way back to the beginning of the conversation here, is that instead of using a problematic and subjective system in a vacuum where we're all trying to think about subscribing one number, or sorry, assigning one number to a deck that we've worked so hard on, let's talk about intent. Um, I've talked about intent of in building and playing EDH decks on multiple occasions. I had a really interesting conversation with Brendan from Create Commander, as well as a really awesome conversation with Bobby Christine on the social expectations of EDH. And both of those conversations really did touch upon this, but I wanted to touch on intent again. Intent, as I define it, is exactly what you want your deck to do in-game and how efficiently you want it to get there. Uh, is your deck a theme deck? I always think of Kristen from the Commander Advisory Group, at least used to, I, I think still has a Lord of the Rings tribal deck, where, again, it's, it's looking to follow the story of Lord of the Rings with, uh, with interesting analogs in there and isn't necessarily trying to just jam all the best cards in there, trying to tell a story, or, or my old Fogey deck. Uh, is it a deck built around one or two creature types, what, we, what are typically called tribal decks? Is it a combo deck? How efficient is that combo deck? Is it aggro? Is it Voltron? How? And then once you know exactly what your deck is trying to do, what's your game plan? Are you trying to drop a Crater Hoof Behemoth? Are you trying to pull off some sort of A plus B combo? Are you are you trying to do the, the interesting thing I saw in CDH a while back where you try to play Divine Intervention and then force everybody to draw the game? I mean, again, there's no problem with any of these game plans, but it's really good if you know exactly roughly how you're going to get to your win. If you have a win con, great. But if you don't necessarily have a specific win con, how can you try to close that game out? Or is your deck even looking to try to win? I have a very good friend, Infamous Fridge, friend of the show. He's been on a couple episodes with me, and he has a very interesting group hug deck that actually doesn't look to win the game. It looks to provide other the other players with resources and help them basically nitro casual their own casual decks. And it's a really awesome deck. I've had the opportunity to play against it a couple times. It's really amazing. You should go check out that episode if you haven't already uh, with Infamous Fridge. But yeah, is it what's your game plan? What is your your end game here? Is your deck efficient or, 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 or is it tuned? Or is it just a bunch of random cards you open in packs or found at a garage sale? I mean, this format is for everybody. You can play anything in this format. 
but knowing what your deck is looking to do, what pieces are in there, is vital to understanding intent. It's vital to understanding what your deck is trying to do and trying to find other decks that share similar intent. And then next, what about your commander? You... There are just so many legendary creatures that are coming out nowadays, and a lot of them are just completely bonkers in terms of what they're able to do. If you go on to EDHREC and you search up the top commanders, a lot of the most powerful commanders are also some of the most popular because they are really, really good. Uh, You're going to see a lot of the best commanders in CEDH, for instance, too, because these commanders allow for the most powerful strategies in the format. So I would recommend that you know, before you go to your next game night, you should do your homework on on what your commander does, especially the ones that are considered to be the quote-unquote most powerful ones because they come with stigmas. So I'm going to use an example of commanders that I have built around where they have a stigma. I have multiple decks. I have Najila the Blade Blossom, who is extremely popular, very CDH viable, as well as Anya Falconrath, who is also CDH viable, but are two of the most popular commanders in their color identities. And whenever I sit down in a more casual game with people I don't know, people love to assume that I'm always running the most powerful versions. Again, going back to the quote-unquote power level here is people tend to assume that everyone builds a deck in the same way because they don't want to mess with that status quo. Everyone wants to optimize, right? Wrong. And why is it wrong to think that I'm potentially running the most powerful version of that deck? Because I, as the person who put these decks together, had a different idea. I wanted to do something completely different. So as far as Najila, I've talked about my colorless Najila deck, where if you haven't heard me talk about that before, I've basically put zero lands that can create colored mana by themselves, and I'm running 30 mana rocks to make up for it, so I can try to get one or two activations off Najila per turn. And I feel like that's a very reasonable way to bring Najila to a quote-unquote lower power level, or just make Najila more palatable for a wider range of decks, rather than going full bore and trying to get infinite activations or just get a a goofy number of activations on one turn. I'm trying to get one, maybe two per turn if I can, and I really have to work to get there. Also, my Anya Falconrath deck isn't looking to combo off with World Gorger Dragon, it's not looking to combo off with Kiki Jiki, it's looking just to reanimate Emrakul from the command zone, not from the command zone, but from the graveyard, or just a bunch of big doofy creatures that I throw in in the discard bin in, in my graveyard during the course of the game. And I love to be able to play Reanimator because it's not something that a lot of people see out of that particular shell. It was something that I looked at and said, hey, you know, I don't have a Reanimator deck. Anya gives me a nice little discard outlet. Also, I can run a lot of Madness cards, but I want to, but I, again, I only run certain Madness cards that I feel really fit the theme of my deck. I'm not running every single card with Madness that has ever been printed in the red and black color identity. But again, people always consider that I'm going to be running these decks at the most optimal, and and that's okay, I can understand. But on the other hand, why do we always want to compete against the best, and uh, don't always want to compromise here, or, or ask why people would stray from the status quo? Had a game about a month ago at my local game store where I was playing on my Anya deck, and another player was was playing aggro and beat the snot out of me. And then, you know, I was shuffling up and said, hey, you know, I, I really didn't have anything going on that game. And this person said, well, you know, I was afraid you were going to combo off. 
just, well, why would I? I, I never said at the beginning of the game that I was going to combo off. And this person said, well, you know, every Anya deck ever combos off. Really? Because my, if that's the case, then I certainly uh, haven't gotten that memo in myself. Because I specifically built this deck to not do the combo thing. Because, you know, combo's fine. But I, I wanted to try something different. Some interesting different design space with a commander that had a really cool ability. That allowed me to play a reanimator strategy that wasn't World Gorger Dragon. And I just wanted to try something different. And that's okay. I'm here to tell you that it's okay to do something different from what everybody else is doing. That's why we play EDH. That's why... Friends of mine, such as Unsummon Skull, Coach J-Row, uh, Mono White Border, Peter, uh, the Mono White Guy, Charles. I'm um, just so many different people out there. I, I, I've had so many guests who have talked to me about their unique building style. I want to shout out each and every one of those people for just being awesome and just being so cool talking to me about how they build their decks. And I, I'm going to sit here and tell you again that it's okay to try some different things. That's what the EDH format is all about. But... This is why there needs to be a conversation before the game. Again, I'm going to shout out Brandon from Craig Commander and Bobby Christine about the setting expectations in an EDH. Is that you want to make sure when you're sitting down with people you don't know that you're trying to set up the best possible environment for you to enjoy that game. Otherwise, if you don't do this, you're probably going to end up with some sort of feel-bads, especially if you feel like you never really had a chance to participate in that game. And again... A lot of people, especially online, talk about wanting to do, quote-unquote, the thing. And then a, a lot of the counterpoints end up being, well, the thing is to win the game, typically, right? And I'm going to be here and tell you that's not always true. Uh, especially when you go to the, the lower end, the, quote-unquote, lower end of these, quote-unquote, power scale. Again, the, the power scale that I don't subscribe to. Um, you, don't tip, you don't necessarily get those uh, kind of things where you always want to win the game. Take my old fogey deck, for example. I just want to play old fogey. I want to have a laugh or two about all the different kinds of silly counters on on my commander. 7-7 seven, seven dinosaur costs 2 mana. Who has phasing bands with other dinosaurs? Just all this ridiculous number of weird and silly abilities. One of which actually echo. You don't even have to pay according to the rules in Oracle's text. Um... But just all these silly, fun stuff on there. And, you know, the idea of, with Old Fogey isn't necessarily to win the game. It's just to play the game and feel like I'm participating. And I think that's really what kind of gets lost in the Rule Zero conversations a lot, is not everyone is necessarily looking to try to win every single game. Sometimes your deck is just looking to do something silly, like the Divine Intervention CEDH version I just talked about a couple minutes ago. That deck was trying to tie the game, was forced to draw... And that was some of the most fun I'd ever had at a CEDH table, is just seeing a combo line go into Divine Intervention where someone could, that player could have gone for the win and decided to go to Divine Intervention and draw the game instead. And I thought that was uproariously hilarious because it's not something you normally expect. I am a player who loves seeing things I've never seen before at the EDH table, and I had never seen that kind of combo line. I loved it, and I still love it. So rave talking about that because it's, you know, it's fun. That, that's what we all enjoy about EDH. Is it, it's fun. It gives us ultimate design space. So why is there such a stigma, especially in the power level scale, towards decks that maybe wanted to explore this design space further? 
there are decks that don't necessarily want to homogenize or don't want to potentially run any quote-unquote staples. Again, I hate saying staple because there's really no such thing as an auto-include in, in EDH at all. Again, it depends on your intent. Maybe, maybe you feel that uh, if you're trying to optimize your deck, and that's completely fine. You need to run quote-unquote staples, but there is still room in this format for decks that are not trying to do that. There is room in this format for decks that are putting the efficiency and the tuning aside and are trying to do something silly in a very hackneyed eight-piece combo way. I mean, that that's equally as good an EDH deck, equally valid as an extremely tuned combo deck that wins in five turns. Again, it's going to depend on who you're playing with and if you're having fun. Because, you know, if we're not having fun playing EDH, then at least one thing in this whole conversation has gone wrong. So I've, I've been talking for last three quarters of an hour talking about how power level really doesn't matter. And I'm, I'm going to use another interesting anecdote here is whenever I go to my local game store and play with people I don't know, I'm trying not to say what is what's a power level. I keep, People typically ask, you know, what power level are we playing? And then I say power level doesn't exist because it's all about intent. And then I start asking uh, the other players some questions about what their deck's trying to do. What is your efficiency? What does your commander do? What are you trying to do? And people stare at me, and they have no idea how to answer these. I had uh, someone a while back basically saying, well, I, I didn't expect to be interrogated about my deck build. Now, obviously, you know, still working on, on the whole pitch about here. But, you know, you built the deck. Unless you're, unless you're borrowing a friend's deck, you built the deck. So what was your thought process when you did so? What was your intention for building the deck? Don't tell me you have no idea what the deck does because you built the dang thing, right? I mean, come on. You took the time. You found the commander. You found the strategy you wanted to build around. You built the deck. So when I ask you roughly how efficient is the deck, what are you looking to do, why are you staring at me as though I'm interrogating you? I'm not trying to do that, but I don't feel that the power level is really fair because how is my, what I'm asking any, well, actually, it, how is a power level really even figured out? I'm asking you roughly how, do, how can I evaluate my decks? I know my decks. I know what they're capable of more often than not. And how can I try to find a way to scale with what you're doing? I have decks at, with various levels of efficiency, various levels of tuning. They change from time to time. I'm kind of lazy updating my decks. Uh, sometimes I don't try to update my decks a lot, but I do try to have a nice swath of decks from the Silly, from my old Fogey deck, up through my more middling decks, my, my Kothafeds, my Najila deck. Uh, I, I have my, my combo deck. Uh, my, my, my beloved Alenda combo deck, and then I have CDH. I want to make sure that I have decks for basically every situation. But again, I built those decks with a certain intent in mind before I ever got started. And I want to hear some of the thought process that you put into building and crafting and updating your own deck that I did for myself. Again, I don't want to know a number because everyone falls under a seven, Right. I want to I want to hear more about the story because you know I I'm a brewer I love talking to people about how they built their decks and why they put certain cards in 
And I want to know something about who you are as a brewer. I want to know something about how you brew. It's why I do the Noah Brewer series if you've been a long-time listener. If you're new, definitely check the Noah Brewer series out. They're awesome. They really allow you as the listener to hear more about the, the, the deck building process for a lot of great community friends. I also did one too, and they're a great time. So definitely go check those out. And honestly, this kind of conversation really only needs to take a minute. You know, you don't have to have a 15-minute PowerPoint presentation about exactly everything your deck's trying to do. I just want to know, are you playing a Mana Crypt? Um, if you are, are, is there other fast mana, let's say? And again, I'm, I'm not trying to pick on Mana Crypt here, but, um, you know, it, it just seems like the kind of card where, since it's 100, over $150 right now, is that, you know, you don't necessarily see a lot of Mana Crypts running around in quote-unquote lower power decks. So if I see a Mana Crypt, was it something that you opened in a booster pack, or is it something that you originally intended to be in this deck all along? Because in in that way, is it if it looks like you've intended to put it in that way that all the time, well, your deck is more efficient, probably, because you're trying to get a lot of fast mana in there. Well, all of a sudden, my old Fogey deck is not going to be able to match that kind of game plan because it's not that kind of deck. The intent is very different, so there's going to be a serious imbalance here, and I want to try to avoid that if at all possible. So yeah, it only takes a minute to really be able to explain, you know, here's my deck, here's what it does. You don't have to explain everything to me. I I just want to know what was the thought process in the deck. What do you, you know, very, very basic idea of what you're trying to do. That's really all I'm asking. It's not an interrogation. It's just a question, right? So I have a little bit of homework for y'all, actually. Um, Before you play another game of EDH, whether that's online, whether that's in person, your local game store, whether that's at a convention, take every single EDH deck you have. Sit down and try to figure out what each one of those decks is trying to do. How fast does it get to that win con? You know, barring a god hand, let's say, you know, roughly how fast do you think your your deck really starts doing, quote-unquote, the thing, whether that's trying to win the game, combo off, or just trying to start playing a whole bunch of very giant dragons, angels, or, or demons, something like that. Are you running a known strategy? Are you running an aristocrats deck, a token deck, a burn deck? Or are, you, or are you trying to, like I'd have with my Anya Falkenrath deck, trying to do something, you know, a little different, something a little bit outside the ordinary. What are you trying to do? The third thing you need to look at is how threatening is your commander just on its face? You know, Anya and Najila are extremely threatening because they are so good. How threatening is your commander? I ran to an AC Tyrant of Gyre Strait a few weeks ago at my local LGS. Actually, actually, not AC. Um, oh, I'm, I'm going to hate myself the, for this one. Um, one from Call Time. Oh, the, that, that's really going to hurt. Um, but, but effectively, the, the legend that creates a whole bunch of serpent tokens. Coma. Jeez, I cannot remember my creature's names. But anyway, yeah, a, a player running Coma and said, well, you know, this isn't going to be an extremely efficient Coma deck. Just okay, just want to make sure I'm holding you to that. And, you know, it it wasn't the most optimized version, but it still basically overran the board and completely took over. Just, you know, this is, we had a conversation about intent, and, you know, I kind of asked, how fast does your deck get to, you know, get to the point where you start just overwhelming the board with Serpent Tokens? 
And I feel like that conversation kind of got lost because, you know, the, the deck did more than quote unquote it was supposed to. And I'm, I'm not trying to be sour grapes here. I just kind of feel like sometimes, you, you know, just please be honest, honestly, is that, you know, if even if your deck isn't trying to necessarily do something as efficiently as a lot of other decks you've seen, there's nothing to hide from people. We're just playing a game. That, unless you're in a tournament, be honest with people. If your deck typically runs over people quickly, you need to let them know that ahead of time. I didn't really enjoy being run over by a coma army of serpents where there's really not a whole lot you could do about it because I was playing a deck that was a lot slower. I was playing my reanimator deck and it didn't have a chance because I didn't have ways to be able to deal with these cards that I didn't expect to come out of a coma, of that particular coma deck because I was told that they weren't in there. So I feel like, you know, honesty is really important about this. And, and that, that's another reason why I don't like power levels is, you know, you could say your deck is a five, but, you know... If you're running a lot of extremely powerful, optimized, pushed cards, maybe that on your subjective scale ends up falling towards a seven. And, well, all of a sudden, why do we even have that conversation in the first place? I may not, I may have been better off never asking in the first place. And that's really where I'm trying to hit home here before we, before we end here for today is we, a lot of us would like to win when we sit down to play EDH. But ultimately, the real goal is to have a communal experience that that we can remember. And that's why honesty is so important, is that if you have to deceive people to try to win games, I think that there's a bigger problem at, at hand there. And no power level, nothing is going to fix that. What fixes that is intent. You have to be clear with your intentions. You have to be open and honest with your not only yourself, but with your opponents and with your friends about what your deck is trying to do. And if the deck is is much better, quote-unquote, than everything else at the table and runs away with everything, maybe you could offer to remove that deck from the table for game two. Is that trying to force other people to play the exact same game you want instead of trying to find middle ground is really where the power level system falls apart is that everybody's seven is not going to be the same level. And no matter how much you wish it, everyone else's deck is not going to be a seven. But if you ask about intent, if you go into that conversation asking what everyone wants to get out of the game, what your decks are trying to do, you're more likely going to be able to walk away feeling that you didn't waste your time. And again, I'm not trying to be overly melodramatic here, but I'm trying to utilize my experiences as an opportunity to explain why this is so important, why power levels really don't matter as, as much as a lot of people like to think they would, but, and while it's all about intent. It's all about the intent of you building that deck, putting it together, and playing it, and what are you trying to get out of it? And if you can figure that out for all of your decks and explain it even in the elevator pitch, the 20 to 30 second range, then you're well on your way to having a hopefully much better pod than you would if you were just worrying about high, low, mid, or 1 to 10 power levels. Because again, power level levels do not matter. Just like whose line is it anywhere, where the points don't matter, in EDH, the power levels don't matter as a 1 to 10 numerical system. It's all about intent, intent, intent. 
and I hope you enjoy listening to this episode of the MTGN Quarantine Podcast. You can find my podcast on the usual podcast outlets. Those are your Googles, Apple, Spotify, Player FM, Rocketcast, Pocketcast, Breaker, Overcast, and a million others. I never remember all of them, but if, if it's a major podcast outlet, odds are you can probably find my podcasts on there. You can also find me on Twitter at, at MTG in quarantine. You find the happy looking Ulamog wearing a pair of headphones. You found the right place. I'd also like to give another huge shout out and thank you to all the awesome people supporting me over at patreon.com slash MTG in quarantine. So another huge thank you to Mr. Big Benz, Anomaly, Draco Lucian, Nick S, Infamous Fridge, Frugal Brutal, Jen of the Filthy MTG Casuals, Coach J-Row, and Geek Beardly for supporting the show. If you'd like to help support the show and help me make more awesome content, head on over to patreon.com slash MTG in quarantine for more information. And I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the MTG in Quarantine podcast, where the slogan is EDH, community, now and always. My name's MJ. Have a great rest of your day, everybody.